Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay. First of all, I'd like to wish you a very happy new year. 2023, my, and a wonderful year it's going to be. That's what I wish for each of you anyway. Today, we're going to talk about ageism. And I I chose ageism as this podcast topic because, well, over the last couple of weeks, I've been surprised to hear ageism being referred to by a growing number of my colleagues and their children. As an example, someone who'd literally been promised a job and one that she was well qualified for, found out that the position had actually been offered to someone else, someone considerably younger than her. Now, I figure this woman's probably in her her late 60s. She assumed it was because of her age. Now, we won't know whether or not age was a contributory factor, but it wasn't a blow except that the recruiters had basically told her that she had the position when they interviewed her. She learned who had received the position and thanks to technology, she was able to check their LinkedIn profile. And in her opinion, her qualifications surpassed those of the successful candidate. Now, it was because of the response from the recruiters that she knows they'd been impressed with her interview. And therefore, her conclusion was that it was due to her age. And yet the same thing happened to a girlfriend's daughter, who was again effectively promised a position and then not offered it in the end. Now, this woman is in her late 20s and she's been with the company for a a few years anyways now. Guess what? She's now considering changing companies and that's going to be a huge loss to her organization. According to Wikipedia, ageism is, and I quote, discrimination against individuals or groups on the basis of their age. I learned that the term was coined in 1969 by Robert Neal Butler to describe discrimination against seniors and patterned on sexism and racism. Originally, it was identified chiefly towards older people, old age, and the aging process, on discriminatory practices against older people, and on institutional practices and policies that perpetuate stereotypes about elderly people. But its true definition is prejudice or discrimination on the grounds of a person's age, at any age. 
Like other forms of bias, ageism is not based on biology, but it's socially constructed. According to the Global Campaign to Combat Ageism report, ageism starts in childhood and is reinforced over time. From an early age, we children pick up cues from those around us about our culture stereotypes and prejudices, and these are soon internalized. We then use these stereotypes to make inferences and they guide our behaviors and our feelings towards people of different ages and towards ourselves. This report, the Global Campaign to Combat Ageism, is one that was developed by Global Campaign to Combat Ageism for a group comprised of big players here, World Health Organization, the Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights, the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs, and the United Nations Population Fund. The findings in this report were that ageism is everywhere. One in two people worldwide are ageist against older people, and in Europe, more younger people report ageism than any other age group. But ageism affects us throughout life and exists in our institutions, our relationships, and in ourselves. But ageism intersects and exacerbates other forms of disadvantage, including those related to sex, race, and disability. That ageism is the only form of prejudice that we will all experience if we live long enough. That ageism has a damaging effect on younger people. Dismissing younger workers as too inexperienced, unprofessional, or not qualified for advancement several examples of how ageism can hold younger people back. The report also talks about warning signs of age discrimination in our workplaces, including use of coded language, of different sets of opportunities for workers of different ages, insults, and ageist assumptions about worker abilities. It also talks about layoffs that target workers of certain age groups and lack of promotions for older workers as also being clear signs of ageism. Now, I know I've personally experienced ageism in my life, and as shared earlier, I increasingly hear of others at least sensing that their age, at all ages, has been a factor in decisions that have impacted them. I began working at the age of 16. I had graduated early from high school and wasn't ready to begin post-secondary studies, so looked for full-time employment. I was unquestionably the youngest in my cohort groups at BC Tell back in the day. And until I turned the legal age of being considered an adult, which is 19 in the province of British Columbia, the province in which I live, I was indeed and felt quite left out of quote unquote adult stuff. I wasn't invited to activities after work with my colleagues, likely because I couldn't drink. I couldn't vote, even though I was paying taxes and a mortgage at 18. And I was otherwise contributing as an adult to my world. With regard to my employment, I trusted that decisions were being made fairly. At 16, I wouldn't have thought to think otherwise. It's interesting that over the years, I have been reached out to by parents and asked to speak with their kids about work situations where the parents didn't feel that their kids were being treated fairly. A number of these situations would likely have been successful if pursued through employment-related legal processes. 
But these kids weren't going to go to the bother and they chose not to pursue remediation. Their employers likely knew that they wouldn't and therefore continued to violate employment standards and human rights laws. Now we're talking about hours of work violations, not paying staff holiday and overtime, hiring for someone being sick. The list isn't pretty. These kids were being taken advantage of. I argue that their age and their lack of life experience was a factor in how they were being treated. I want to turn for a moment to cues that we pick up as children, those stereotypes and prejudices, which are soon internalized. I remember being in elementary school and having an adult ask me about one of my teachers. Did I know that he was black? I remember I would have been about 10, truly not having paid any attention to this fact. It wasn't anything that I'd been given a moment's notice to until it got called to my attention through this adult's question of me. I also remember my grandpa pretending to speak another language in the presence of a family who were obviously of that culture. We all laughed. I was a child and I knew then what we were doing was not right. It was not something my parents would have done or supported, and I'm really grateful for that. But these are some examples of those influences that the report is speaking of. I'm going to take us back to BCTEL. I remember thinking about how old someone I worked with in the office was. She'd just gotten engaged. She was 28 at the time. Now, I didn't think anything less of her. I just remember thinking that she was old. Where did this come from? My mom married at 18 and had me at 20. At 26, she had four children under the age of six. I know, I'm not sure how she managed. In the early 70s, unlike today, we were marrying and starting families in our early 20s. And obviously she had been 20 years earlier. Looking back, I was definitely influenced by what I was seeing and experiencing in my world and not recognizing that it wasn't the reality of everyone else's. That does come with time and the wisdom that we hopefully attain over that time. Think of your own experiences. What might have been said to you in your formative years? What prejudices and biases were present that you may not realize may continue to impact you, even subtly? By shedding light on this and becoming aware, we are better able to begin to change. And do we really think about how we might be presenting? Do we give consideration to how others might be reacting to us and doing anything to help mitigate this? It leads me to wonder how I have been perceived over the years. First, as a very young formal leader working in the union movement, I'd been hired as a national representative for a large Canadian union at the age of 21. And later, now in my history line, I would, would be in my late 20s as a manager and then a director within the human resources field. How many individuals might have felt uncomfortable because I was so young and I was younger than them and holding positions of such responsibility? Speaking with others who were also in managerial positions at an early age, I know that this was something that they had to contend with. Comments to them like, who are you to be telling me or who are you to be laying me off? Or who are you to be making any of the decisions that we had to undertake 
and we do have to undertake when we oversee others. We aren't trained in this, and so don't necessarily do empathy well in these circumstances. Have I been sufficiently sensitive to this? In reflection, probably not. And would I be provided those same opportunities at such a young age today? Again, probably not. Ageism in practice? It's a good question. Reality is that many boomers have not retired and global competition has pushed our organizations to become leaner. I see so many newcomers to employment extremely capable and hungry for growth opportunities. I also see them leaving for greener fields when those aren't forthcoming. Retention of skilled talent is one of the top concerns cited in surveys conducted of senior management and HR professionals. This frustration over limited growth opportunities cannot be contributing positively to the problems of ageism. Let's look further at the boomer piece in ageism. The decision was made to remove mandatory retirement at age 65 a few years back now. I remember being concerned that many organizations did not provide feedback to employees through performance review processes. And in HR, I'd heard of the concerns of managers coming to HR that someone's performance was diminishing or that they had effectively retired into their positions. If they were close to age 65, this was often overlooked or the person was bought out by offering them a, an incentive to retire. I watched as senior managers were moved out of their positions and new temporary opportunities created for a year or two with the understanding that they would leave employment after the expiry of the temporary placement. They were helped with their transitions. I've watched as employees' tenure increased and knew, even with performance review programs in place, that they had been provided no formal feedback over most of those years. For the employment record, they were doing just fine, even if they weren't. With the removal of mandatory retirement, according to the personnel files, every one of these individuals can now work until they died, unless those same organizations were now prepared to start providing them feedback. This would be a shock for some. And what a disappointing way to end an otherwise great career to now be performance managed out. These individuals have in some cases spent their entire careers in these organizations. No, they may not be as quick picking up new technologies as their younger counterparts who grew up with technology as their entertainment. But is there less value in the different competencies they bring, like corporate knowledge? And what about the loyalty? And if indeed their organizations have shifted and the skills and expertise they bring are no longer relevant, rather than force them out by the way they are being treated, why not exit these people with understanding and compassion? They are those organizations and they take how they experience those organizations with them. They typically have wide networks of connections who listen to what they have to say to individuals who also have wide networks of, of connections and are influencers. These are always important considerations, but particularly as organizations struggle with talent shortages and the need to be viewed as choice organizations. A woman recently shared with me that she felt that she and several of her other colleagues had bullseyes on their backs, but the organization she works for can't wait for the three of them to leave, all now past 65. I know this individual. I have watched her undying commitment to the company she works for. We're not talking about someone who's no longer productive or doesn't care. 
Over this past week, although on vacation, she has responded to requests for assistance and contemplates needing to work this Saturday. No, she isn't supposed to be working weekends. She will be retiring soon. Her company has indicated they might need her to come back and help. The way she's been treated lately is leaving her less willing to keep jumping how high. If not for a manager that she adores, she would likely leave now. This company really needs her expertise in the field that she works within. They are playing with dynamite and don't know how close they are coming to that exploding. The other colleagues? She shared that one has chosen to dig her heels in. And this individual says they can buy me out if they want to get rid of me that badly. It's going to cost them. Really talk about disengagement and presenteeism. And these attitudes are noticed and they do have an impact on others. Another woman was willing to postpone her retirement to assist with implementation of a new technology system. In return, she said, I want to work part-time, but I want to stay on full-time benefits. That's important to me. She was told, that's just not possible. Now, I know that if the organization had been prepared to put her on a part-time leave, but keep her status as full-time, they could have made this happen. Most employees don't know this. And many employers will not take the time to see if they can find a creative way to make such flexibility happen. She too plays a critical role in her organization. I watch with interest as her retirement date approaches. Any compromise on her organization's part at this point may be too little too late. Let's talk about ageism and recruitment. I left corporate to enjoy using my expertise in a different way. Over the ensuing years, I have contracted with organizations and assisted with a myriad of different specializations within the HR field. I have often found myself having to be the one reminding organizations of human rights legislation realities, particularly in recruitment decisions. At all points of the age spectrum, I know that age can sometimes and not so subtly be a consideration in hiring decisions. The argument that an individual will not stay if they're hired older doesn't wash. We know of the concern being voiced that new generations of employees don't stay long, that they don't have the same loyalty typically seen in employees with the baby boomer vintage. So why would they? Organizations haven't been loyal to them. I watch all generations of employees stay when they feel good about their working situation or what they need is being met typically being provided with growth opportunities, feeling fairly compensated, receiving recognition for work well done, and feeling that they are contributing and making a positive difference. I know I don't have the energy and drive that I did as a younger me. I also know that I've dealt with most of what transpires within organizations over the years. When I and others who are also older may lack in zip, we offer an expertise and experience. There is always something new to learn and to keep current on. Helping our organizations understand and embrace the need for diversity and inclusivity, use of new technologies, artificial intelligence, and creating truly people-centric organizations. Only a few examples. There is and always will be something. We learned how to do differently and we adapted because we had to in the pandemic. Many organizations now offered the hybrid model enabling employees to work remotely at least part of their work week. As a result, we're also reducing our carbon footprint, a very positive ripple. 
And this change has been viewed as a very positive one for many individuals and by many individuals. As an HR professional, I am very aware that there are often other factors that play in organizational decisions. The constant though, is the neg negative impact on individuals that not handled sensitively makes a difference. We can reduce the impact, but this takes time and too frequently those in people oversight roles are not provided time for those critical conversations. Assuming ageism has not been a factor, taking that few moments to provide feedback may be all that's needed to help individuals understand the why a decision was made. Are we paying attention to how members of the team are presenting? Are we observing signs of disengagement? What's going on for those individuals? I'll be asking. And if our organizations are truly heading in new directions that no longer fit with the skills of current employees, then are we making those difficult decisions that need to be made and actioned? I've seen this done. It's still disappointing for those impacted, but it is honest. Circling back to the Global Campaign to Combat Ageism report, findings note that priority should be given to enacting policies and laws, and, and I found this interesting, implementing educational and intergenerational contact interventions. What do these look like in action? Basically, that our society should be structured and designed for inclusivity, including that of the age of individuals. A conversation about ageism can happen at any time. You might bring the topic up after experiencing ageism yourself or of being a witness to the experience of others. The topic may come up spontaneously after you hear an ageist remark, or perhaps you receive a birthday card that makes fun of your age. As noted earlier, we do do some of this to ourselves. I've certainly caught myself forgetting something and blaming it on my age. My reality is no matter what my age has been, there have always been times I've forgotten things. Why do I do this to myself? It is just perpetuating stereotypes. I recently watched Elton John's Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour on the Disney Channel. And yes, it was excellent. Yes, he is older and different, if not better. He may no longer be doing some of the antics on stage that he did in his earlier years performing. It didn't matter. I was just thrilled to be able to get a little bit more of this incredible man and his talents. I felt the same when watching a Netflix movie where actor Vanessa Redgrave, now 86, plays a dying grandmother. She was fabulous in this role. And as with others like Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, Julie Andrews, and Barbara Streisand, now also all over the age of 80 and still contributing and making our lives better as a result. They play different roles than they did earlier in their careers. Perhaps we can learn from them. My master's project was written in 2004. I pursued my master's degree in leadership and training when I was in my 40s. My topic? Organizational sustainability, preparing the District of West Vancouver for a global shortage of skilled employees. All the recommendations made are still relevant. One of those was that the organization consider using retirees as mentors. The district may wish to consider setting up a retiree corps 
of individuals who are interested in volunteering time to be mentors to employees. The British Columbia Local Government Management Association does this. They have a roster of retirees who have volunteered and can be called upon to provide input and insights to CAOs, chief executive officers, or chief administrative officers, and civic government managers across the province of British Columbia. In doing my research, I also learned of organizations who bring in kids from the community to help those with an organization who are struggling with new technologies. This was happening more in the United States at the time I conducted my research. I don't know if it's been embraced in Canada. It could be. What a great way to introduce potential future hires to our work cultures, to possible future employment as well in our industries. And what about those laws and policies? They don't do any good if they're not used. We should be talking about this stuff in our schools, both about ageism and what to do when we feel we have been negatively impacted. And of course, the same goes for all other types of discrimination. If it isn't currently part of the curriculum, how do we make it so? I'm reminded of a class in economics at Simon Fraser University. The professor brought in this guest lecturer to talk to us about the recruitment process, how to prepare, things to consider. It had absolutely nothing to do with the course that I was taking. It was a gift from him. I've never forgotten that class. He obviously cared about us and he incorporated that true learning into what he was offering. How do we as individuals start to help this shift? By reflecting on our own behaviors? By seeing and challenging what we are observing in our worlds? Perhaps by being that volunteer who offers to speak to groups? As an example, I love leading a Girl Guide troop, get various badges by facilitating guest speakers on topics that led to achieving those badges, on careers, recruitment preparation, on areas that I had expertise in or knew of in other individuals um, who could come and speak with them. It was exciting for them, as I'm sure it was for me. I hope so anyways. It is interesting that the future research portion of my thesis included that it may be beneficial to study, including whether employee needs are truly reflective of those attributed to the various generation mixes, and if so, what this might look like in terms of flexible work arrangements and conditions of employment. The others, like the recommendations section, are still as pertinent in 2023 as they were almost 20 years ago. This stuff is not brain surgery. It was as a result of the pandemic, when we didn't have a choice, that we now have at least more flexible work arrangements. It shouldn't need to be forced upon us. This is stuff that we need to be doing because it's the right thing to do. The skill shortage is real, but the cost of living in many boomers not having corporate pension benefits, continued employment is their only option. The 72-year-old gentleman who cleaned my table at a local food fair hopes to be able to retire when he's 75. My girlfriend just returned to work in retail and she's feeling the pinch of the higher cost of living. She loves the interaction with her colleagues and clients. These two are bringing years of developed talents to those employers, even if they may not quite have the energy that they did in their 20s. And what about those feeling stymied by the lack of opportunity? How do we create that for them? Why could we not be creating mentorship roles within our organizations, providing those who are easing out time to work with 
those transitioning into the leadership roles? Can we temper those biases and remain open and curious to potential learning from one another and honoring the gifts that we each bring? And again, although I'm speaking of ageism, this pertains to every other kind of bias as well. Ageism, we're all impacted by it. Let's at least become more aware of how we personally are contributing to it. It's a start. If you're interested, I will provide you with the hashtag of the global campaign to combat ageism and also the global campaign to combat ageism toolkit, which is excellent. And I'll add that information to the resource section of the show notes for the project. Thank you for listening. And I hope that I have at least planted a seed for your further reflection. It's Susan signing out. Remember, dare to soar. I believe you can. Let's work to create a better world together. Have a great day, everyone. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.